get right into the word this morning. So take your Bibles and open up to Matthew chapter 25. We are uh, so glad that you're here. It's Thanksgiving week. Yay! Some people are excited. Um, you know, Thanksgiving week means you get to eat a lot of food and uh, repent later for your sin of gluttony. It's awesome, isn't it? You just get away with all that. Uh, I hope that you have a great Thanksgiving. We do truly have so much to be thankful for. Um, we're very blessed people. I'm going to kind of tie in what we're talking about this morning to the, the Thanksgiving baskets, um, which are obviously a part of um, Thanksgiving for us. It's serving the needs of the community. Uh, but we are on a journey to try to more fully understand what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And this is, uh, as we've said from the beginning, this is a challenging series that we're talking about, about taking back your faith from the American dream. It's, it's a radical concept, even for church people, because some of, the, um, some of the extremes spoken about in Scripture, uh, we tend to kind of brush off as, uh, oh, that doesn't really mean for me. Or that was back in the Old Testament times. That's not really for now. But we are discovering some radical concepts of fully devoted followership. What does it look like to not just be a Christian because I go to church on Sunday, but to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus in every area of my life? You know, today, more than a billion people in the world will live and die in desperate poverty. A billion people. I want you to hear some of these numbers for a minute. That billion people will attempt to survive on less than one dollar per day. One billion people will try to survive on less than a dollar a day. I want you to tell me how that would work for you. Two billion people in the world today, two billion people in the world today, will try to survive on two dollars per day. That's a lot of people. Think about the numbers in your head. That's nearly half of the world that is struggling today to find food, water, and shelter with less money than I spend on a cup of coffee. Now I'm not, please understand my heart, I'm not here to beat up on you, make you feel guilty, but we need to understand the realities of the world that you and I live in and the realities of scripture and the commands of scripture that we're called to, to make a difference. So, Two billion people in the world today trying to survive on less than I'll spend on a cup of coffee. And that, that over $2 cup of coffee, oftentimes I leave half of it in the bottom and not finish it and dump it out because it's cold. And recently, over the last uh, six, eight months or so, I've started to think about that. I'm going, what am I doing? I'm wasting that. I'm pouring away. Two billion people in the world today are trying to survive on what I throw away. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Again, this is not to 
this is not like a guilt trip or anything. I just want you to understand the realities. More than 26,000 children today, this day, 26,000 children today will die of starvation and preventable disease today. That's staggering. That's the population of all of Waterville, all of Winslow, and 90% of the town I live in, Sydney. That's how many will die today from midnight last night to midnight of preventable disease and or starvation. Well, that's great, Pastor. Now I really feel like a good old pick-me-up for Thanksgiving week message. Please, hear my heart today. There's something that you and I can do about this. To put it in perspective, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. You know, when people are questioned about why they don't believe in God, many people respond by pointing to all these injustices in the world. They look at the world, like the statistics that I just shared with you, and they say, you know what? If there was a God, then why doesn't he do something about this? If he's a God of love and a God of mercy, why doesn't he do something about this? And the reality is he has. He has. God has entrusted his people to directly address the needs of the world. You and I, the church, have been saying it for several weeks. We are the hope of the world. Christ in us. The local church, the body of believers, not just Centerpoint Church, but the church, the individual members of the body of believers all over the world. And they number great in numbers. I'm not going to quote any of those statistics because I don't have them written down. I don't want to make a mess of that. The gospel is made evident in the lives of Christ followers through meeting the needs of the afflicted in the world, of the poor and the impoverished. The gospel, this, is made evident in the lives of you and I, followers of Christ, through meeting the needs of the afflicted in the world. When I understand, like we preached last week, when I understand, when I get it, that I have been commanded to make disciples of all nations and that poverty is rampant in the world to which God has called me, I cannot ignore the realities of the world that I live in. They're painful and they're hard. And there's a part of me that would rather put them in a box and kind of set them aside over here because they're too overwhelming and they're too heartbreaking to process. Does anybody else ever get that feel? It's just like, oh, that's so... And we kind of go about our day-to-day -day lives here in America and we forget about these realities in the world. But anyone wanting to proclaim Christ to the ends of the earth has got to consider both how you can declare the gospel verbally, how you can speak it, while also demonstrating the gospel visibly. Verbally, but also visibly in a world where so many people are hungry and poor and afflicted. It's awful quiet in here. If we're going to serve the urgent needs by sharing the gospel of Christ or by building up the body of Christ around the world, we cannot, we simply cannot overlook 
the dire physical needs of the world in, in the process. Church, let me say it simply like this. If our lives do not reflect a radical compassion for the poor, there's a reason to question how effective we will be in declaring the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. In fact, um, according to scripture, there's cause to wonder if Christ is really in us at all. I told you these were hard messages to swallow. But if people aren't seeing it visibly, if we're not... So frighteningly, many of us, many of us, we have, we've turned a blind eye to these realities and we've, we've practically ignored these people, the poor, and we've been successful in our own ignorance because they're, uh, they're not only poor, but they're also powerless. Poor people cannot, they don't have the power to change their situation. Literally millions of them, millions are dying in obscurity and I enjoy my affluence while pretending that they don't exist. But they do. I know you're thinking, it's Thanksgiving week, Pastor. You're supposed to pick up a good, feel me good message and, and tickle my ears. And listen, we're on a journey to really talk about and to discover what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus. We have to understand what the gospel says. This is what it looks like. This in me being lived out, not just verbally, but visibly. I'm thrilled to see 177 bags. You needed 166. The Lord gave us 177. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. Great news, but you know what? That doesn't even touch, doesn't even skim the surface of the needs right here in the greater Waterville area. Now, thank God there's other churches doing the same thing, other great, good communities. But you know what? That, to me, should just be the beginning of what God wants to do in and through each and every one of our lives to visibly and verbally impact our world with the gospel message of meeting the needs of the afflicted and the poor. And here's, here's the thing that got, I got hung up on a few years back. I got hung up on the fact that, well, you know what? There's this whole, because of the welfare system in our, in our world is all screwed up, there's this whole entitlement mentality, right? We all know that there's people getting handouts that don't deserve them, right? Because they're taken advantage of, maybe, or maybe they're lying about, or, or maybe they just have this kind of handout, oh, gimme, gimme, gimme mentality. And I know that, and you know that, Right? Right? There are people in the world that take advantage of that. But you know what? That's not my problem to deal with. They'll stand in judgment before God. My issue to deal with is what Scripture tells me to do, and that's to reach out. So if someone's pulled the wool over my eyes, even if I kind of have a suspicion maybe they're kind of, you know, playing one up on me here, I'm still going to do my part to do the best I can to reach out to the poor and the afflicted in the world because that's what God told me to do. Period. Let the chips fall where they may. But I used to get a little disgruntled and a little frustrated and irritated about that kind of nonsense. And you know what? God just did something in my heart and, and Jesus said, Craig, who cares? This is what I got from the Lord. Who cares? You do your part. Let me take care of the rest. You're not their judge. Not only do they exist, but, but God takes very seriously how you and I respond to them. The book of Proverbs warns about the curses that come upon those who ignore the poor. I said the word curses. Scripture tells us that. When you ignore the poor, there's curses that come upon you. The prophet 
The prophets warn of God's judgment and devastation for those who neglect the poor. Jesus pronounces the woes upon the wealthy who trust in their riches. James tells that those who hoard their money and live in self-indulgence to weep and wail. This is what James says. You should weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you if you hoard your wealth. And you say, well, I'm not wealthy, Pastor, so that certainly doesn't mean me. If you live in America, regardless of what tax bracket you're in, you're wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Me and you. Well, I don't feel wealthy. I have a hard time paying my own bills sometimes. Well, we've all been there because of poor choices we've made, because of overextending ourselves. But we are wealthy compared to the road. So in a, in a humbling passage, Jesus says to those who turn away from him by ignoring the physical needs of his people, this is what he says, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we're going we're gonna to kind of unpack these passages in the next few minutes. And I want you to please hear me and understand me. Do not mis, uh, misunderstand and confuse what these principles are teaching us. And th these chapter in scripture, it's nowhere in the Bible, nowhere in the Bible does it teach us that caring for the poor is a means to earn salvation. It's not what scripture says. And I'm not saying that. I'm not saying, oh, you know, go take care of the poor people and then you earn your salvation. The means of our salvation is faith in Christ alone and the basis of our salvation is the work of Christ alone. I think I've got a slide for that, guys, if you go a couple ahead here on me. We're not saved, we're not saved by caring for the poor. And one of the worst possible responses to this chapter in Scripture that we're going to be sharing would be to strive to care for the poor in order to earn salvation or to earn a good standing before the Lord. If I do this, then I'll that. Hey, I did my Thanksgiving bag. I feel, you know, pat me on the back and now I've, I've, I've got good standing with the Lord. That's not what this is about. Yet while caring for the poor, it's not the basis of our salvation. This does not mean that the use of our wealth is totally disconnected from our salvation. So the two come together. And this is what we're going to be really looking at today. In fact, caring for the poor, among other things, is evidence of our salvation. It's the external, it's what you see. If we're saved and Christ is in us, then you see visibly that there is some action to our faith. Right? It's not just being hearers, but being doers of the word. The faith in Christ that saves us from our sins involved an internal transformation inside here that has external implications. Something that happened inside here that changed the way I act externally. So according to Jesus, you can tell if someone's a follower of Christ by the fruit of his or her life. And the writers of the New Testament, which is where we're at today, show us that the fruit of faith in Christ involved material concerns for the poor. Caring for the poor is one natural overflow and necessary evidence of the presence of Christ in our hearts. When Christ is in you and you, you go to an impoverished nation, and you visit and you see something should happen inside of there if Christ is in you that compels you 
But you know what? You don't have to go very far, Pastor Zach, right? Because the schools that you called and that said they needed help numbered far larger than what we were able to do. There were several schools that says, can you give me more? Because the fact is, right here in the city of Waterville and surrounding cities, there are children that go to school that the only meal that they're getting is at the school. Because they're on the state program that feeds them. And they're not getting money, they're not getting food at home, some of them because their parents have squandered it away in drugs or whatever it might be. But that's the reality of the world that you and I live in right here in our backyard and then all around the world as well. Caring for the poor is a natural overflow. You know, this may seem a bit extreme to you this morning, but I want to give you a little illustration, a little example, an analogy. Imagine if there was a man who claimed to be a follower of Christ. Maybe he's here in church with us this morning. And uh, he was indulging in sexual immorality and having, having uh, sex with multiple partners throughout the week. I know this is extreme, and I know some of you are, you might be a little bothered by this, but bear with me while we kind of paint this picture. You know, and he's confronted by Scripture. He's confronted about his sin, yet he continues in this behavior. He continues in, in, in his immorality, and he disobeys Christ persistently with no sign of remorse with no repentance with no change no no responding to conviction whatsoever so is he really a Christian don't answer the question just just listen to me for a minute is he really a Christian and I realize that we're not this man's ultimate judge but when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10, it says, Neither the sexually immoral nor adulterers will inherit the kingdom of God. We would certainly question, we would certainly question whether this man is really a child of God, right? If he's doing this outwardly, I mean, you and I live in the world like, yeah, absolutely, you know. It's not, though, it is not that he needs to stop his sexual immorality to be saved, that would mean that he would need to earn his salvation, right? We've talked about this even in communion. He needs to trust in Christ. That right? That's it, which will then result in a change of heart with then a desire to obey Christ, right? in every area, in this and every area of his life. In other words, we can't look at the behavior as the issue. We've got to look at the heart, right? So that sounds pretty extreme. So let me ask you now, what's the difference between someone who willfully indulges in this, this awful sin, these sexual pleasures while ignoring the Bible on moral purity with someone What's the difference between him and someone who willfully indulges in the selfish pursuit of more and more material possessions while ignoring the Bible on caring for the poor? What's the difference? <laughs> Heard someone say none. Well, let, let's, let's, here's the reality, right? Exactly. Sin is sin. The difference is that one involves a social taboo in the church. We go, oh, bad, bad, bad. While, while the other involves a social norm in the church. Because we just say, oh, well, you know, it's awful quiet in here. <laughs> 
Come on now. We're talking about what it means to, what it really looks like. And there are things that we, oh, that's, you know, that's a big, no, no, that's a big. But we've accepted, church, this is why I'm really trying to challenge our thinking. We've accepted some things that are counterfeit gospel that we can no longer accept. God's calling you and I deeper. He's taken us beyond superficial Christianity and he's taken us deeper into understanding what it looks like and what it means for me and for you to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. I'm thrilled that we do these things like this. You know, they're, they're legislated and organized by the church and, and we have the, you know, we do Christmas dinner, we do this and that and all. Those are all wonderful things. But you know what the reality is? Once a year here, once a year there. This should be, just like I said, the Great Commission last week we talked about, is the Great Everyday Commission. If you and I are living out the priorities and the principles and the commands of Scripture in our heart, in our day-to-day -day life, then we're impacting the world way more than 177 Thanksgiving baskets are going to go. Are you following me? When we live out those priorities of the Word of God in a daily act of obedience and surrender where you see it and I don't just say it verbally but you see it visibly because I'm living it out all right let's get to the scripture are you ready number one mark chapter let me read this as kind of setting the the tone for our uh, message and I'm going to move through this fairly quick today so you grab your seat and hold on mark chapter 10 verse 17 this is the rich young ruler and as he was setting out on his journey I know I told you to turn to Matthew keep your finger there if you're flipping back to Mark or just look up on the screen as he was setting out on his journey this was the man the young rich ruler a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him good teacher what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him, and he said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Here we see it again, right? We've been talking about this whole discipleship thing. Leave everything behind and follow me. Kiss it all goodbye and follow me. In other words, put me first above all your material possessions, all your stuff that you've acquired, all the stuff that you've worked all your life. <laughs> in America to keep up with the Jones to have all the toys to have all the nice this and all the nice that and there's nothing wrong with having nice things please hear me it's when those things have you that the, the problem happens but he says leave it all and come and follow me disheartened by the saying the young man went away sorrowful for he had a great many possessions and Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how difficult it will be for those of you who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God so I'm going I'm to paraphrase this in, in Craigonology here. How difficult it will be for American Christians to enter the kingdom of God. Because we're spoiled. We're a very rich nation. We're a very rich people. Compared to the majority of the world, we are spoiled. I know some of you don't like me right now, but I love you. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. This is hard stuff. <laughs> what does it look like to really be a follower of Jesus? I'm glad you're just smiling at me, Scott. That'll keep me going. I appreciate that. I just... Matthew chapter 25, flip back over there now. This is the final judgment that Jesus talks about. Everyone will be judged 
everyone will be judged following the return of Jesus. Not just believers, but the unbelievers alike. As their shepherd, he cares for all of them yet does not hesitate to separate them. Can you go back a, a, a slide here if you don't? Um, we're going to be at the first one. Um, whether saved. Uh, maybe I missed it there. But there we go. Thank you. As their shepherd, he cares for them. Jesus doesn't hesitate, though, to separate into two groups. He talks about the sheep, and then he talks about the goats being cast away from his presence. So this is, this is what we need to understand. Whether saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ or not, all people of all nations will be held accountable in eternity for their earthly actions. Matthew chapter 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will place the sheep on His right but the goats on His left. So Jesus revealed that He alone is worthy to judge and he made it clear that all people would stand in judgment not just believers all people you know I wonder I wonder whether Christ followers 150 years from now will look back at Christians in America today and question how in the world could they have lived with such wealth and such affluence when multitudes are dying from a lack of water and food and shelter. What will happen when people look back just as you and I look back 150 years behind us and we say how in the world could believers justify and even embrace slavery in our own nation? Right? So look at time, right? Look at what time will do. And, and look at the affluence of, of American culture today. Look at the multi-millions multi of dollars, billions that we spend on sports and entertainment and sports figures while there are two billion people a day living with less than two dollars. God forbid and God help us. Number two. It's in the nature of a Christ follower to serve Jesus by meeting the needs of the afflicted in the world. It's in the nature. It's within us. If Christ is in you, his nature is in you, reflected by how you live. Jesus said that those blessed by his Father had met his needs when he was, when he was afflicted. To, to, uh, those to whom he spoke questioned Jesus as to when they could have possibly done such a thing. And Jesus replied, they had served him because they had been meeting the needs of those who were suffering. They served Jesus in this way without even realizing because they were doing what came naturally to them as they followed Christ to wherever he led. He led to those in need. Look at verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did, you, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink and when did when did we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you 
And when did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. I've, I've read some stories recently of people who have given up everything, everything to serve and to follow Jesus. A man and his wife who sold a lot of their belongings, they gathered their clothes, they gathered food, and they went just on what we would call the south end of our town. And they went and they just went door to door meeting the needs of the people who lived there. Amazing stories of, of love, compassion, of grace, of visibly the church doing what God's called us to do. Another woman who decided to begin selling her possessions on the internet so she could pay off her debt because she wanted to be able to give more away. We have so much, don't we? We have so much. And some of these might seem extreme, but you know what? It, it should actually be the norm of Christ followers for us to minimize so we can maximize His kingdom. There's so much, so much you and I can do without. Oh, but I like my comforts. I get it. I know it. I'm there too. I struggle with all these things too. I'm preaching to the choir. To me, I have to go through these things on a regular basis and, and guard my heart to not be fleshly and carnal and sinful and wanting to acquire more for me. Well, you know what? I really should be less of me, more of him. Help me to decrease so that you can increase. I don't need all of those things. Everything that I need, he promised to provide. Everything that I need. It's awful quiet in here. I want to get done so I can get out of here. Um, <laughs> number three. You guys are glaring at me with love. I feel it. I feel the love. A person who does not meet the needs of the afflicted is not a Christ follower. Well, how can you say that? Well, I didn't say it. Let's look at Scripture. Jesus condemned those who did not meet his needs when he was afflicted. Those he condemned never met his needs because they did not meet the needs of the people who were suffering. If they had been following Christ, they would have gone to him and they would have gone to those in need. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed right? You cursed into the eternal file, fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying Lord we did not. Or when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he'll answer them saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And I've driven by some of the least of these before. And I said, you know what, I'm too busy. Or he's probably just doesn't really need it. He's probably lying. She's probably not. I've driven by them. When you don't do it unto one of the least of these, you don't do it unto him. These are the people God's called us. And these, uh, you did not do it to me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous 
into eternal life. You know, there's another passage of scripture in uh, the rich man and Lazarus and, and in that passage we discover that regardless um, and I'm just not going to read it for the sake of time, the whole thing, but regardless of what we say or sing or study about on Sunday morning, the rich people who neglect the poor are not the people of God. We cannot, church, we cannot neglect the poor and needy. This is the, this is the evidence that we are his disciples. Caring for the least of these. That's the evidence of it. Any of us who have the privilege of living in the United States of America, regardless of your tax bracket, you've been blessed materially in incredible ways. This, this in and of itself is, is not a bad thing to be blessed, right? Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. I, I can't tell you how often I thank God because I am blessed. And I thank him for his blessings. A few weeks ago, the, the message title was Blessed to be a Blessing, right? It's not bad, but we're responsible for how we decide to respond to our material blessings. We can selfishly keep them all for our own comfort and our own pleasure. Or we can have our perspective transformed with with the rest of us through faith in Jesus and follow him to help meet the needs of the afflicted in the world. As each one of us does our part, and I'm not just talking corporately in, in legislative programs or feeding the hungry, but as each one of us does our part. I know that many of you, um, you support a child through Compassion International. Uh, I support a child or, or two through um, Africa Bright Future Ministries through the Rwanda ministry that Steve and Roberta Doyle have set up for us. And there's, there's poor and needy and $35 a day clothes and gives insurance and sends a, a kid to a, a school. Is that right? Am I saying that right? Th sorry, 35 a month. I said a day. 35 a month, which is pocket change, which is probably less than I spend on coffee a month. I haven't done the math, but probably less. Sad, isn't it? That's how, <laughs> talk about entitles. Well, we're blessed. We're blessed to be a blessing to others. Either way, you and I will stand before him and we'll, we'll answer for our decision one day and our answer will ring for all eternity. How did you respond? Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? I'll need some guards to help me get to my office in the back. I mean, some ushers. Thank you, David. I'm kind of joking, but I'm kind of serious because I know these are hard messages, church. Um, as I prepare, as I study, as I delve into the preparation myself, it's like I said, when I started reading this book by David Platt um, a few months ago, it was, well, actually well over a year ago, it was quite convicting so much so that I put it down. I said, I'm not ready for that. And God helped me to pick it back up and say, no, we are ready for that. You're ready. The church is ready. Now's the time. So here's my question for you. Are you ready for that radical step of obedience? Are you ready to take that radical faith step to say, you know what? I want the actions of my life to display what's in my heart and Christ inside of me. That should come out and that should spill out in every area of my life. Not just a Thanksgiving basket once a year. And thank you. Please, hear my heart. Thank you for how generous you are. Thank you that you give. 
And I, I know that I... Uh, Sometimes maybe I seem like a, a pastor that might be saying, oh, we're not doing enough, we're not doing enough. Um, we do a lot as a church. I, I want to acknowledge that. We do a lot corporately as a church. And I'm thrilled and honored to be a part of a church that does so much. I think that's what we should be doing. But I also believe that as every individual does our part individually, that will be so much more than what's legislated through programs of a church ministry. And that's the danger of the institution of the church versus the individual of the church. I've got to fall in love with Jesus and have Christ flowing through me. And then I will do my part to live out the great everyday commission in every area of my life. Not just when the church runs some type of sanctioned outreach. Does that make sense to you? I want us to be. And I'm telling you, when we do that across the globe, across America for starters, we'll make 177 Thanksgiving baskets look like peanuts. And I think it's time for the church to impact the world and reach out to the lost and the poor and the needy, right? Someone said to me, Pastor, what about the poor in the church? And by the way, we've got 10 extra bags or so. No, down, down to four, okay? That's great. Taking care. If you're in the church... We need to take care of our own people in our own church too. Absolutely, right? And so if you're here and you need a basket, if we run out of baskets, if we go, to, we need 10 more today, we'll get 10 more. We will get them. Right? So if you're here today and you know of someone in our body that needs a basket, you please let me know or Pastor Zach know. It's Pastor Zach, he pointed to him because he knows I'll forget. <laughs> please let Pastor Zach know. Um, and I appreciate you so much, man. You're amazing how much he does to take stuff off of my plate to handle things like this is awesome. Um, what's more important, Pastor, taking care of the poor in the world or the poor in the church? So that, that question was posed to me. I said they're, they're equally as important. I think it would be a disservice to the kingdom of God if we're reaching out to the unbeliever because they need Jesus, right? But we're not paying attention to the believer in our own house who's poor. And there are. In fact, our, I wish our church was filled with them because they should be. Right? If we're reaching out to those that are afflicted. So, both equally. I don't think one's more important than the other. I think that the, heart, the heartbeat of God is to reach the poor and the afflicted. Believer and unbeliever alike. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let me ask this question in closing. Are you here today and maybe this is um, certainly to the Lord but it kind of helps me to know how to pray. If you're here today and you say, you know, Pastor, something about this message pricked my heart in a way that, I, that is spurring me to, to think through how I can put feet to my faith more and to action. So something is quickened me, the Holy Spirit has quickened me this morning to do something different, to make a change to action, if, if you could just say that's me, would you just slip your, your hands up so I can see some of you awesome, praise the Lord thank you, you can put your hands down Lord, you see those hands and, and, and like myself sometimes I don't know exactly what it is and how I can do and what I should do and where, you know, more sacrifices need to be made. But I'm so open, God. My heart is to want to obey you. And I think the people that raise their hands, Lord, just need some clarity. So I pray that you would grant us with wisdom from above. That you'd give us clarity. That you would help us to 
to be creative in our own lives to find ways to reach out more tangibly not just verbally but visibly with our actions to love and to care for the poor, the needy, the afflicted the least of these in our world. I pray Lord Jesus that you would absolutely expand our territory that you would magnify our efforts of this church of the individuals of this church to reach out and to love more people into the kingdom of God in Jesus name Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, blessed Thanksgiving week. Remember, December 15th, we go to one service. God bless you. Be at peace today.